welcome to the Healerology Podcast. This is a show about healing, healers, and methods to dissolve emotional, physical, and spiritual challenges. I'm your host, Dominic, a student of life, a sharer of knowledge, and a guide to achieving inner peace. The goal of this show is to teach you how to become your own healer, discover and connect to the power inside of you, and live your best life. So, let's get to healing. I'm here with Dr. Paul Canale from Unified Therapy, and I'm sure I would not get an explanation in that would do it justice. So, without me meandering, I'll just ask you, Dr. Paul, what is Unified Therapy, and what are you trying to bring to the world? So, Unified Therapy is based on the concept of uh, Unified Theory, and there's been a search for Unified Theory we know in the physics world. Um, any notable physicists from Einstein down have always looked for a theory that would explain all matter, all experience, and that was never found. In the human experience, I believe for the first time we have a unified theory that would explain the nature of the human condition. What does it mean to be a human? What is the goal? What is the purpose? Why do we suffer? Why does somebody have this particular disease and somebody not? I mean, there's so many different aspects of it. And so the key was looking at all kinds of approaches, whether it's more traditional therapeutics, say in the mental health or psychotherapy, non-traditional, psychedelic, shamanic practice, physical medicine, what that means, what is movement, what is touch, etc., sensory processing, developments in the brain. But if we looked at all of it as a whole, what can we really say that is true? And if we see a methodology without all the extra, extraneous pieces of it, unnecessary pieces, can we sort of, can we distill it down to a basic truth and understanding? And so we have to look at many sources. You know, you always have to be suspicious when you hear somebody say, I came up with this or... I found this as opposed to what can we say universally and people that have what I say successful lives a successful life it, it looks very very different than just the stereotypical materialistic it looks so differently right there's a vibration there's a life force there's a there's an excitement there's um A re, uh, an ability not to age like other human beings, like the body, the mind, the soul begin to experience things in a very different level. So basically, again, excuse me, Unified is just trying to distill that down, but then to put it into some type of usable application that can be taught to others, no matter what profession they may be in. Hmm. So, Dr. Paul, I understand that there's probably two sides to this. There's the recipient of the work of, of unified theory. And this would be a person, you know, searching for, you know, I'll, I'll put it in the broad bucket of, of healing. And, and we can unpack that later. And then there's a side of unified theory where there's the practitioner, someone who has been able to learn these skills and embody it and impart it to, to others. Um, whether that be you know in, in a face-to-face -face interaction, or whether that just be at the very least um, sharing the theory more in a broader setting, say in a podcast, or say in in a in a audience where that person is a speaker. So let's focus on on the first person because I, I love the questions that you asked at the beginning, where you know what what is the purpose of life? You know why are are we here? So. Describe, describe the typical person that you would expect to see 
that would eventually be on this path to receiving the benefits of unified theory? So it's difficult because there really isn't a typical person, but let's go the gamut of different patients, you know. So there will be people that are suffering with really intractable anxiety or fear or panic, and they've tried every type of methodology, and they struggle every day just to survive. There's other individuals who have physical, severe, chronic pain, right, pain in their body, in their, in their joints. And they have been medically diagnosed with all kinds of different type neuralgias or myalgias or radiculopathies and things. It's not that there's not some correlation with a physical, but there's this huge other part that we're going to talk about that's missing. And then, which you said, which is a new category, which I've only been seeing in the last hmm, five years, eight years, is the seekers. Individuals who have now been exposed often to psychedelic-type drugs, um, whether it's ayahuasca, whether it's MDMA, whether it's psilocybin, whether it's bufo, whether it's doing a breath workshop, whatever they've done, they all of a sudden become aware of a huge part or new part of themselves. So they're accessing data or information from their brain, from themselves that they never really knew was there before. And with that data, they begin to see and experience themselves in a world in a different way. But they need to go further, right? So the usage of those substances is all well and good. And I do recommend for certain individuals at a certain time, maybe in the process. Others, the vast majority, we actually steer away because they haven't found what they're looking for. Uh, especially when it comes to, you'll hear me mention this thing, implicit memory. So implicit memory may be the single most destructive force on the entire planet. So what could that possibly be, Dr. Paul? So an implicit memory is unlike any other type of memory. So there's explicit or declarative memory that has a story. Oh, I remember this and I remember that, A and B and so on. And when I think about it, it may produce a certain feeling or emotion, good or bad. But implicit memories, which we often see behind most trauma and post-traumatic stress, anxiety, depression, lives non-fulfilled, is a memory with no memory as far as consciousness or cognitively, but it's a memory that exists energetically inside our body. So when the person wakes up and they say, the anxiety that I have in the morning is so crippling, I'm overwhelmed. Or I, I had to use, I found that when I went to my dentist years ago, I was just a kid, and... I had my wisdom teeth taken out, and the dentist offered me something for pain. I think he called it, hmm, oxycotton or oxycodone. Mm -hmm. And when I took that, something happened, right? I thought I was taking it for the physical pain, but that was very bearable. That was nothing compared to the pain I had learned to live with my whole life. I just thought it was normal. I didn't know what to do with it. And that pain... That pain is expressed as a, be a, a sensation in our self and our body. And when I took that drug, it seemed to take it away. And that is how I became addicted to these medications because it was the first time I had a feeling that took something away or added something. And, and so on this, I, I, I feel like you've said a lot. So I, I just want to like, you know, keep unpacking things here. So... Um, you know, frequently people associate, I think what you say, implicit memory with, you know, what lays in the unconscious mind, you know, what's maybe driving 90, 95% of our daily existence with, without our, our awareness. And that may be an aspect of it, but it sounds like your implicit memory is really a memory within the body. 
And so it's something that's embedded there, as you mentioned, like in, in, in energy. And what people fundamentally don't have is that whether it be chronic pain, whether it be fibromyalgia, whether it be migraines, it, it, it seems that the one constancy is, is a chronic malady that someone has. Um, this seems to be a result of this implicit memory. They don't have awareness of, of it at all. Um, and therapies that they might go to, you know, some you've mentioned, you know, say talk therapy, they might go to Reiki, it will be effective to some level. And then they might find like this noise, as you call it, that gets dissipated, it, it will come back. And so one of the aspects that I believe that it's part of this unified theory is this underlying concept of even if you find relief outside of you, there's this aspect of just going within and continually going within. Do you, do you feel that's a part of it? I, I think that's so well said, but you, like you said, it's a very broad and sometimes very difficult topic to convey because we're talking about, so base again, implicit memory, let's make it easy. So you want to learn a bicycle and your dad takes you out and you practice and you practice and you, you just don't get it the first day. And then the next day dad starts again and you don't get it, but then something happens. You're ready to call it quits and you take off and you ride that bicycle and you're filled with joy and bliss and accomplishment and you don't even practice that bicycle again, maybe for weeks or months, but you pick up that bicycle and you know how to ride. And that's an implicitcy. It's built into us in some way. Now, what we're talking about is the most important, most adventurous journey in that any human, it's the turning point in humanity. It is the turning point in our humanity when we turn our way, ourselves away from outside distraction to inside working, like biohacking our own brain. You hear biohacking, but they want to do it synthetically. You know, people playing around with microdosing. Unfortunately, it's, it's a lot of nonsense. It's not saying that there may be some benefit in it. Mm -hmm. But to really biohack is you've got to build a new brain. You've got to create neurogenesis. As far as we can tell, there's a part of the brain called the middle prefrontal cortex that gives you dominion over the fear, dominion over your past, dominion over conditioning. You know, we know a lot from the behaviorists that human beings can be very, very conditioned or even made to respond in any way you want. And if I can just touch on that, this, what you mentioned, conditioning. You say build a new brain. So there's a brain already built. And this brain you know, comes from our childhood. We come into the world, we experience what we experience. Why do we have to build a new brain because most of us don't have awareness wonderful wonderful so i mean i could go on this whole topic so much about what a new brain began to look like and how they even first discovered that somebody could change the brain by how they're using their thoughts i mean just to make a long story short there was this scientist called richie davidson who's also is very interested i mean there was a bit of bias there in buddhism mm-hmm and he had asked the Dalai Lama if he could use scanners or functional MRI of a Buddhist monk's brain, right? Uh, there was some opposition, um, but he was able to do that. And that was what's behind all this mindfulness and the things you mindfulness-based attention, mindfulness-based therapy, mindfulness cycle. Even John Kabat-Zinn. All of that. So what happened was he was very instrumental. They used to get together every year with the Dalai Lama and have the mind science group. But basically what it showed was that when they put the scanner of the Buddhist brains, that they were different than what we had thought, we meaning the scientific community, what a brain normally should be, right? And there was a difference, and that was in mostly in that area of the middle prefrontal cortex. And so how is that different? 
and it would there were certain developmental structures that were clearly different. And there's well, how did this happen? Is it genetic? No, it was a result of how they were using it. So here's something. It's a very important concept. How you use your mind can shape the brain. The old concept was you didn't have a choice, that the, the brain, the mind was just something you were born with. Now, somehow the, the way they were using it was beginning to shape it, right? And, and when you mean by shape, you, you mean the actual physical structure of the brain. I'm talking actual physical structure. So it's not, like I said, it's not something esoteric. See, that's the problem with so much of the consciousness and movement and spirituality. It's very dissociated, very much out of any real practical. I want practical. If I'm going to do a shamanic ceremony, I want to come out of there with really practical. What do you mean, Dr. Well, if I had chronic shoulder pain, I want to be able to walk out of there with no shoulder pain. And if I tell that to most people, they're like, what? Or if I'm having chronic anxiety or depression, or if, or if I have a tightness in a certain part of my body, there is a we, real way to approach that. So that's another thing. We teach people, if you're going to do these things, you need real skills. You need real skills. So let's go back to implicit. So implicit memory, like I said, between all the trauma, between everything else, people don't even realize how, how troubling the world we live in. You know, when the suicide rate of young people, right, between 10 and, I forgot the statistic, 24, has gone up 54% in the last 10 years. And, and again, forgive me if the statistics aren't exactly right. It's definitely gone yeah, up yeah, tremendously. tremendously. And anxiety is, is considered to be a normal. The other day I was watching a show with my daughter and a, a sort of a, a teenager show. And the girl was on there with crippling anxiety. I'm like, what? That was unheard of. Unheard of, right? Now, there's a, there isn't a single day that doesn't come by where I don't see some kid or some young person stuck with this, this energy, right? This energy of fear, of overwhelm. And in this age of COVID, right, it's pushed to dramatic. Yeah. What they don't realize, I mean, there are people out there that know, and we, we talk the biopsychosocial relationships, biology, but you have to realize if you leave out the psychology, not what you know, it's often what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And socially, like, what are you doing in your life to give you joy or happiness? Do you move your body? Do you connect? What are you putting in your body? You know, there's a lot of things. Do you come home at night and you feel... Is that a sanctuary? Do you feel comfortable? Are you not at peace? I mean, there's many different aspects. So on the, on the unified theory side, you know, is someone navigating this, this space? Because you know, a, a given individual is probably going to have you know, one or more challenges in, in his or her life. Um, uh, procrastination, um, chronic fear, uh, digestive problems, uh, migraines, um, inability to be in a, a positive relationship, uh, uh, constantly poor, um, um, always angry all the time. And I think we get a peek at, at the unified theory when you say the, you know, the, the biopsychosocial, you know, tying you know, things to, to, together. In that, in that space, it seems like an individual could actually get clues, say, of walking out of of this situation, these these maladies that that he or she has. What what is usually the impetus for a person to you know, with awareness, start working on themselves or receiving help, or let's say without awareness, you know, like having to work on themselves. So. It's easy, and the initial part is always one of the great conscious motivators is uncomfortableness, suffering. I don't feel yes. good. This hurts. My life doesn't feel right. I was hanging out with the Schwartzes this weekend, and they seem to be so happy, such a happy couple. I wish we were like that. I don't understand it. Mm -hmm. there, so at first, it's unfortunately, I mean, fortunately, that's the way we work as human organisms. We need so, a strong stimulus to get our butt going, to light a fire underneath us. And then 
fortunately or unfortunately, that may start as a minor discomfort or complaint, and a person starts to be introspective and work with it and research it. Or it often is, unfortunately, something very dramatic. Now I have cancer. Now I can sit back. Now I have to do something. Now I just lost my business. Now I just lost my girlfriend. Now I just lost my wife. Now I've got something that it does, I can't distract myself away with anymore. I used to distract myself with work. I used to distract myself with video games. I used to distract myself with media. I used to distract myself by being angry. There's many forms of distraction. What's so exciting about this time, I mean, there's a, there's a real pushback between the two forces, the, the darker, unconscious, manipulative, using times of fear, struggle to take advantage of people. That's always going to be the way. But there's also, for the first time in many years, I mean, I've been at this, this is 35 years or more, so I've, and I've had the incredible privilege of working with thousands of people, not in a normal doctor-patient relationship, but on this deep introspective. So, so many people that come to me say, how is this possible? I've only even gotten close to this using psychotropics, drugs that create consciousness, and you're able to do that without it. And of course, it's so much superior because we're there moment to moment, and there's certain skills, like a skilled surgeon, to rewire that person's brain and to support them through the most challenging and difficult places, the place of shadows, the place of pain. And because when implicit memory, I think the thing that we left out that's so important, when it comes up, it's as real as the first time you ever had it, but you don't remember. You don't remember where it's coming from. So your body's racked with pain, or you're racked with depression, you're racked with anxiety, and you don't understand it. You, but why, why is this happening? I, I, it's my, I just had birth to a child, and all of a sudden, I'm in this terrible place, and they tell me I have postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. Well, there's always something else. Or uh, my business changed, or my partner, I found out something about my partner that triggered me, and all of a sudden, my whole body is shutting down. And it's like, that is, a, that is a signal to go in and have the right individuals with the right skills to take you into that place. I do, I do want to focus on that, that thing that you said, the right signals, because you know, so many times you know, I encounter people when they're in the midst of what they're experiencing. You know, if it's pain, they say, like, you know, I'm in pain. I feel awful. I feel miserable. Um, my, my partner's terrible. And, you know, I... I always have this burning desire for them to get more curious because, you know, things that happen in your life, you know, particularly the ones that are more challenging or cause more diversity, I mean, they're definitely signals. And they're things that people can decode, I think, with more scrutiny. And so, you know, the encouragement, I think, that, that was most helpful for people instead of a person saying I'm miserable is, is to ask, like, well, well, why am I miserable? You know, like... In what places am I miserable? With what people am I miserable? Are, are, what are the times when I'm, when I'm not miserable? This, this feeling I have right now, when was, when was the origin of it? When was the very first time of this? Was there ever a time in my life where, where I didn't encounter this? So, you know, as these, these memories come up and, and people have these experiences, you know, it, it seems one of the things that is most helpful for people is to it's become very curious about what they're experiencing. Now, so they do that. How do they find these experience guides that you're talking about? Where would they look for? Because people look, well, they, well, I meditate, or I do yoga regularly, or I'm fasting, I'm going to breath work. How do they go beyond these tools? Because I think those are, are phenomenal. And at the same time, in my own experience, I do know that as good as they are, they're not sufficient in many cases to really wiping out, say, the, the underlying cause, the root. Well, one of the first important things, just like you said, the desire. You have to have a desire to want to change. You have to have a desire to want to know. That's so important as a seeker. And, and also an acceptance of personal responsibility. Absolutely. So that's always, you know, again, that's a unified thing that you have to come to the place, no matter what happened to you, that you're ready to accept responsibility. 
So one of the areas that we often look at is early life experiences. And we uh, administer different questionnaires and forms, right? And one of them is from the center of disease control of all people, right? It's called the ACE questionnaire based on an ACE study standing for Adverse Childhood Experience. Now, everyone knows more about the CDC in these days, right? Days of the pandemic, right? But CDC was always looking for a causative agent in a toxic chemical or a particular bacteria or virus or something, looking for that type. That's where they, they usually spend most of their time. When they did this particular study, by far, it's the most shocking, most controversial, most eye-opening thing that the institution has ever, ever did. In fact, it's so bizarre because it's a very linear, but at its core, if you were looking for humanistic or consciousness or even, dare I say that word, spiritual, it's probably one of, of all scientific studies. It's probably the most of any of them because they began to come up with, here we go again, a unified theory of disease and suffering. Mm -hmm. That, watch this, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, anxiety, how long you'll live had more to do, had more to do with the, watch how I'm going to put a little twist on it, the energy of those experiences, not just the experience, but the energy and how well you handle the energy of those experiences so that those experiences don't dictate the rest of your life. Yeah. Including, watch, including how you deal in relationships, et cetera. But knowing that is a, is a huge thing because we have another extensive trauma history, et cetera. Not to make you feel bad about things that happen, but to teach you when you move from consciously moving from a thinking part, right? More sort of, even though this has changed a lot, like, but... It, some of the model may be still useful, more left brain, more linear, seeing the smaller picture to more right hemispheric questioning and experience which sees the big picture. You begin to realize many things about your life, but it's not just the realization. So I know this happened. I know my parents abandoned me. I know that they weren't there. I know that my uncle molested me. I know but it leaves often you powerless to work with the physical somatic. The word is somatic, where we convert the psychological or emotional conflict into real-time physical sensations. There's a very famous neuroscientist, Antonio Damasio, that, again, flipped the world view that emotions were not just little chemicals in our head, you know, serotonin or dopamine or norepinephrine that they're actually complete bodily states bodily states so meaning if you can feel it you can heal it and so but you better have somebody that knows what they're doing right and you better be careful because there's so many people out there quote unquote healers shaman therapies and we see so many of those people that really they end up they end up nowhere. You know they have experiences. Many people tell you they chase chase experiences, just like this thing we I call now shamanic syndrome. Well, I've done ayahuasca five times, but now I'm going to do ayahuasca, and then I'm going to do bufo, and then I'm going to do bufo, and then I'm going to combo, and then I'm going to do this. Like, but what are you doing? Has it made you more conscious? Has it made you more compassionate? Do you spend more time with your children? Has it healed your anxiety, depression? Have you changed your... No. It's, a, it's another major form of distraction. But then, on the other hand, if used in a certain way, it can be very beneficial. It could be one of the great beginnings of a wake-up, right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, a few things like mix, mix together. So from the, the ACE assessment, you know, the various childhood experiences... You know, my major takeaway from that is that it shows a strong correlation from you know, early childhood you know, trauma with later on in life uh, maladies. You know, some, some of our, our biggest killers in, in Western society. And most of the time, these killers are treated, say, with pharmaceuticals. Um, or they'll say, like, you know, change a lifestyle and then people go back and forth. You know, maybe they change the diet a little bit and they're not able to do it. Well, one of the, the, the key things that seems to me that has 
brought people to getting better is reaching the state of, of becoming like less reactive. And by that, you know, you, there's like a stimulus and of course there's a response. And so there's never like uh, any control on, on the stimulus. You know, the, the world will send you whatever the world does. And most people immediately go into reaction with that. And the people I've seen who have gotten better over time are the ones that where they're able to actually you know, introduce a pause in there. And, and they're, they're, they're feeling whatever they're feeling. They're in their experience. But then at the same time, and you mentioned like, you know, people getting more conscious have these different ways of, of growth made them more conscious. They're consciously choosing the response that, that they're going to have. And this, I, I think, based on what you're saying, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think what you're saying is through these different experiences, people should be looking for certain things in their life to change. I think one of those things is like becoming less reactive. What are the, the other things that people should look for? Because I, 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 I love the point that you're making. People are chasing experiences, chasing experiences. You know, they're had this awakening, they saw this vision, you know, whatever, all these things are going, but the, the, the key thing, and I even hear this about meditation, you don't do meditation to get better at meditation, you do meditation to get better at, at, at life, and so in addition to becoming less reactive, what are, are markers that people so, should see showing up in their life? And there's, there's so much uh, to talk about the topic, but I'm going to go to like a very basic concept. So you have this wonderful system called the autonomic nervous system, ANS. It has two basic components. A sympathetic component that it is stimulatory. So it means that when you activate that, it's going to borrow energy from your body. It's going to borrow energy from your muscles and your liver. It's going to borrow basically resources from the bank to, to create an energetic response. And it could be exercise, it could be, it could be excitement, it could be sexual arousal, but it can also lead to, you heard it, to fight or flight, or freeze response where somebody is constantly in this state of stress and arousal and it can get stuck. The opposite of that, the one that's supposed to turn it off, is so everything that goes up should come down. If you exercise and your heart rate when you start is 82 and you exercise for consistently for a few weeks or a month and then you check it, your normal resting heart rate may down to 72. Well, how did that happen? Because you moved energy through your sympathetics and then as it comes back down, you get a new lower setting rate and that's called your parasympathetic and there's a lot of talk now about this cranial nerve 10 vagal, vagal system or vagus, which is all about, tell me it's safe, tell me the war's over, tell me those things that happened to me, tell me because I never got the love or the attention or any of those things. And don't let it be, it's very misleading because people say, I never had anything happen or I never had a traumatic, it isn't like that. It's not like there's necessary one particular event. It's a c accumulation of your human experience and that accumulation limits the potential that you have. We are keenly shaped by what we do unto each other. So essentially, this, this ANS, autonomic nervous system, it, it appears that it becomes out of whack. And, and what is a well-functioning ANS, the, the person is experiencing life, they get charged, and they discharge. What causes the, the ANS to not be able to, to discharge. It's so, it's so interesting. It's like, with so if you haven't uh, done any physical activity, right? So you've been in, sitting in the, the house now in fear and anxiety, and you haven't gone out during like, this span for three months, like right? Like times, yeah. That's right. So you'll note, oh my God, my weight is going up and my, my cardiovascular fitness, because now I tried to do the same thing I used to do the gym opened up and I went and I was unpleasantly surprised at how much I had lost. Yeah, I've, 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 heard, I've heard at least yeah. a dozen stories now, people going back to yeah. the gym and, you know, I'm, I'm only, you know, as third as strong as yeah. I used to. Like, I, I don't have the same cardiovascular But fitness. if you can get this concept, it's so important. It's all about energy and sensations. 
they don't understand how exercise works. Exercise is a stressor. Mm -hmm. Life is a stressor. Early childhood experiences are stressors. Mm -hmm. Human beings are meant to overcome the stressors, become more resilient. So that a stressor, when I used to go, I could barely lift, say, 20 pounds, Mm -hmm. and now I'm doing 100 pounds, right? Well, what happens? So I've adapted to, I've built a resilience to, and you've told my system that I, you need to adapt to that. It doesn't know that you want bigger biceps or you want to look better or for whatever reason, or you want your husband to love you more because you're more shapely. It's just saying, you want me to work with this energy and I will do what I can. When it gets overwhelmed, right, it begins to shut down. And the ability to integrate information, and this is the deep core of the spiritual teachings, right? So the deepest core of spiritual teaching, whether it was Yeshua or Jesus or Yeshua meaning Jesus or Buddha, any of those things is that what you do unto others, you also do unto me or unto yourself. And how you treat children is a big deal. It's like there's only one thing, only one thing that Jesus or Yeshua said, hey, you should freaking kill yourself and commit suicide, really. Hmm. He said, tie a big millstone around your neck and jump into the water and kill yourself if you hurt these children. But it hurt them in a way that stops them from believing in good, right? It wasn't Hmm. just necessarily physical, but if you shut down the ability to see the good, if you shut down life, right? And, And so this, I guess, essentially, that shutting down, it sounds like, the most destructive thing you can do to an individual because as a child, you can permanently impact their life for the rest of their existence by, by shutting down this ability. That's right. And good. the number one thing people begin to discover in Unified or the number one thing now, this huge movement into self-realization through psychotropics, right, is oh my God, there's something in me that blocked. There's something I got attached to, or even a false belief system. Mm-hmm. What is suffering? Buddhism, what's the, what's the number of cause of suffering? Attachment. Damn right. So, But that's a neurological thing. So you better know how to do it. You better know as a skilled surgeon how quickly to undo those, tots, those knots and, those, and create new pathways so a person can enter that realm. Because... The thing about implicit memories, you have to re-experience that. You have to be able to experience the unpleasantness in your body and, and know that you are safe. Like, you know, there's that famous 23rd Psalm, like, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, right? I fear nothing because I know that I'm safe, basically. And in, in your practice, that whole, like, re-experience, you know, I might put it like a... Different way, just trying to digest it for myself, understanding. But from what I've observed in your practice and getting people to re-experience, the first thing you do is make them feel comfortable and safe. You build like a, a strong rapport with them, and then you'll bring them back to the experience. And frequently, I think going in, they have no idea what this implicit memory right. is. And you'll bring them back to it, and essentially they become conscious and current with that that experience. And they get to experience it again, but instead of being overwhelmed by it, let's say when they were like three or four, you're there with them, you're talking them through it, and it, 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 you, you'll have to clean this up. But it looks like as you're bringing them conscious with it, they're experiencing it, and you're actually discharging the energy from that implicit memory. Well, here you go. Why even do any of these things? Why do anything if there's not a reward, right? So the whole point about it with the autonomics, right, is that whatever comes up, I said, if you do it right, it's going to come down. And when it comes down and you hit vagal tone and you hit parasympathetic, you will feel a peace. You will feel a love. You will feel a joy that you have never in your entire life. A great trauma uh, teacher, Gabor Mate, 
Gabor Mate had, like myself, another doctor, this was not the area we were going to go into. This was not our area. I mean, I was, a, I was famous for sports medicine. I was a pioneer in that area. I was a pioneer in first introducing all kinds of forms of body-based work for doctors. They had no idea about it. Influence on creating even the first uh, therapeutic processes, movement, stretching, all those kinds of things. It was unheard of in those days. No one knew what the hell to do with it. And so it was always an adventure. Mm -hmm. But Bez, uh, 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 Gabor tells a story. It's like he struggled his whole life. He got excited about this stuff, but he had never found the peace and never found the love until he had done an ayahuasca. He had done an ayahuasca. But in that place, something in that place allowed him to feel, God, you got to go through the fear. you got to go through the challenge. You're not going to get strong on CrossFit or gym if you don't constantly up and challenge, right? You have to also find the balance. I mean, there's tons of people that use exercise as a form of distraction. It's just like drug use, it's a form of distraction. Do they burn themselves out? Yes. Is there a balance? Yes. But go back to what we're talking about, is that he went through that and he felt a love. He'll tell you that he never, of course, never got from parents, never felt anywhere else. Mm -hmm. The fact that something like that exists and it's not codependent on a person, a person may be an expression of it through, but it doesn't belong to anybody, that's, that's awakening, right? So then you realize, I... Oh my God, I, I have that place to go to. And I have all these false concepts and lies in belief systems. But they have to be also experienced cognition, talk therapy, guidance, coaching. All those things are wonderful. But if you don't rewire, if you don't have a direct experience with the energetics of how you work, right, emotion in yourself, you can't get through. And that's why in the end, most of us, it hasn't worked, right? What's the statistics of chronically ill nations? I mean, we are way down at the list. I don't even know, 30-something, 40-something, as far as unhealthy people in the world, right? We are very unhealthy. We are very depressed. We are sick. We are dying. When are we going to learn? A good physician looks at your symptoms. Oh, hey, you have a fever. You have inflammation. You have loss of range of motion. You have this. You have this. You have this. When are we going to learn that this, this platform we're doing is not working? It's not working. And, and you, you mentioned that, you know, people have to have a reward as a point of doing this work. And I would imagine in the beginning, most people don't have an idea of what this is, maybe until they actually experience it. And so... You mentioned Gabor Mate. He experienced this incredible feeling of, of love. And you know, in the work I do and the clients I've seen, the most helpful realization that causes the most change is when I see the person embody this, this really it's more of a state of self-love. I, I wouldn't even call it an emotion. It's just more of a moment-to-moment appreciation and acceptance of self and the state of non-judgment of self and the state of just ex extreme or normal compassion for oneself. And so in, in, in your work, are, are you helping people identify and get to that state more and more where, where they can actually create that state within themselves? So, so they become aware of the state. As Andrew Newberg said, there's subtle neurological changes, subtle neurological changes that can lead to enlightenment. So what does that mean? Once you've directed your attention from predominantly being an outward source, but now an inward source, your inner body, your energetic environment will alert you when something important is going on. So for instance, you may go to a concert. I'll, I'll use an example. I went to uh, a concert over here at um, Unity a couple years ago and Shnatnam Kerr was there, just wonderful uh, singer and uh, the way he uses her voice. And 
it's not for everybody because you know these are often Hindu uh, chants and, and and mantras and stuff. But it's the way she does it and, and presents it. And so she was there doing this thing, and I remember my wife was there, and she brought some friends, and um, she starts to play. Now I also had a previous experience with listening to her in a very pleasant experience. So it's already sort of conditioned into my nervous system when I was at um, Omega Institute. And so I'm listening and I begin to feel something. So this is what I'm talking about. I begin to feel something in my being. And I recognize that something in my being is something good that's going to lead me to someplace. Is it going to be challenging or uncomfortable because it's going to require... Here's the key word, surrender. You'll hear that again and again. It's like, do you think people understand what the heck that means? Right? That is the number one. That is the number one thing we have to do, whether it's in physical practices or spiritual practice, it's always the same thing. It's like, well, what is that? How do you even know what that means? Right? And letting go just before you let go is often one of the scariest places. So how am I gonna let go? Because so much of the concept, so much of that is built into myself. So much of the ego construct is built into that identity. And as much as that identity is causing me pain, to let go of it is the scariest thing. So you better have somebody that knows what they're doing, right? Um, so And people equate control with, with safety. There. So, so back to that experience. So all of a sudden, I feel this thing happening in me. And there it is. There comes the tears, right? The tears are coming. But they're not tears of sadness. There are tears of deep bliss and joy. Now, I am not an unconscious, so you have to understand, when you're in this place, you're, prof I, I, to quote, to quote, um, I'm going to forget the quote, but anyway, but basically, it's a state of deeply relaxed but profoundly alert. So it's like a, it's a, contradiction it's like both sympathetic and parasympathetic firing both at the same time mm -hmm. the middle ground the middle path is happening and you're profoundly alert but deeply relaxed and so as this starts to happen i feel the tears and then i feel energetic responses in my body i feel there's a movement an involuntary movement a very pleasant movement and it's freeing up maybe there's tightness in my back maybe it's tightness in my chest maybe it's tightness in my heart and the tears start coming, and my head goes back, and I'm entering the state of bliss. Now, watch how aware I am. On the left of me is my wife and her friends. I'm aware, even though I've got my eyes closed and I'm in this state, I'm aware that one of the girls is hitting the other girl, and they're pointing at me. Look at this strange Paul. Look at what's happening to him. Why you know? is this man in tears? Why is he in tears, and why is he having those movements or those subtle things? Like, why is he smiling? So Why is he so happy? And so they're not understanding, right? Because they're looking at from the reality of their experience. Mm -hmm. The old me would have shut that down right away because the old me was so addicted and so concerned about approval and fitting in with others, right? So I, nobody wanted to feel out of the group. We're social animals. In fact, our society punishes those that go outside the norm, right? They love to punish those that challenge or go outside the norm. Well, especially now. I mean, I yeah. think with, you know, coronavirus, I mean, the, the amount of shaming yeah. that has gone out right. because, you know, people, they, they, they will not comply. Right. They, 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 they're wearing a mask. They won't wear a mask. They're inside. They won't stay inside. Yes. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I can definitely identify with that. You know, you, 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 you might feel this inclination to, to follow your, your bliss or your, your joy. Well, and, well, and society pulls you away from that's it. That's right. Or, but even more than that, that the greatest condemner is ourself. We shame ourselves. You're going to see that. We, it's all based on self, right? That starts with the outside, but then it's like, it's ourself, right? True. And once you get through with that, like you said, when do you take responsibility, when you're not plugged into that mm -hmm. paradigm, it's a, a big difference. So anyway, to the right of me is another individual, and he's asleep and he's snoring. And his mm. girlfriend is hitting him to awaken. So there's this whole dynamic, right? Literally there's this whole conscious. dynamic, this whole dynamic, right? But I know this is for me, right? But that, it wasn't born that way. Those things happen because, yes, I did practices, but also others helped me to rate more sensitivity. 
Like you hear people say, you're too sensitive. Well, it, there's not so, no such thing. There's an imbalance in sensitivity, but you want to be more sensitive. You want to walk into the forest and just be overwhelmed by the green and the beauty. It, it's going to bring you in and grounding. Mm -hmm. But if I'm somebody who is totally outside my body, right, who lose, uses gratification from egoic nature or chemicals, I have no idea about what is waiting for me, right? So, so, so like maybe being, being in the woods, on your phone, taking a drink or smoking right, at the same right. time. Right, but because, only because they don't know any better. So the point is, once you're rewired, once you're willing to go there and feel that, your joy is dependent on a completely different thing. And you can... You can choose. This is an amazing thing that I'm going to tell you, which is, is such, such an, an amazing concept that will change the world at hand, is that you can pick and choose any emotion or physical state that you want. Like, you can have a selection. Think about that, right? So you can pick and choose what you want to be. Now, sometimes that pick and choose is... I just got to surrender and it's going to show me. Like there's this innate internal intelligence that's going on that's always trying to direct evolution. It wants you to be more resilient. It wants you to grow. It wants you. That's the way it works. And, and even in this whole thing, we forget who we are. This is a classic evolutionary uh, situation of evolutionary biology. It's a very benign virus. It's a wonderful, what, Dr. Paul? How could you say that? It doesn't hurt children. It doesn't hurt. It does what nature intended it to do. It's to clear out the sick, the infirmed, and also nature does not like any particular species, no matter what you are, rabbit, a human, a Tasmanian devil consuming the resources. It doesn't like crowding. It doesn't like consuming. It will find some way, either a buildup of a predator or it will find some type of pathology or pathogen to weed you down. This is what it does. So there's this, this always prevailing energy, you know, based on what you say, too. I guess two things. One, one on a on a macro scale, to bring things always back into, into balance with each other. Um, and it seems on the individual scale, what one is experiencing, it's, it, it really is or could be interpreted all for the good. All this stress is really intended for, for growth or for lessons or to, to derive some way of in increasing one's capacity. So again, so you have you, how you say it. So like, you know, don't misunderstand me. If you're living in New York and, and you're, you're plagued by this terrible virus and you, you've lost somebody dear to you, it seems like a terrible thing, mm -hmm. terrible thing. But if all of a sudden that thing makes you explore yourself more and makes you go inside and makes you understand grief and makes you understand loss and makes you understand attachment, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. But it's very hard to see it because in the media, depending, again, in your environment, we're in Florida, well, we don't have so much infection, we don't have so much fear. But you're living in New York, or you're living in a very densely populated, there's a different experience, and those experiences begin to shape, and also your previous experience, right? So the ACE thing is your previous experiences shape how you see the world. That is for sure. And so freedom is getting free of that. And even though, like you said, things are going to change, there's going to be loss. You can't control the loss. You know, we always like, well, I never thought it would happen to me. What's well, going to happen to you? It's always going to happen to you. And there's the big secret is like life does not end happily ever after. Life does not end happily ever after. If you don't do the inner work, if you don't know yourself, if you don't make peace with that, it doesn't end well. Not at all. And we often, we often have to look at certain, even celebrities and people that we looked up to because they're also our teachers they're also our teachers sometime in a lesson that you don't want to see like you know, remember when there was uh, an anthony bourdain right anthony bourdain committed suicide so a lot of people like that that can't be somebody killed them it's a conspiracy it's like they can't handle that right well, that he committed suicide because listen this dude was like a man's man this is somebody you look up to and he had this like really awesome chick you know that he was with and it's like wow and i was like i don't understand 
Well, guess what took him out? An implicit memory. Something that was laying there forever, and he didn't have the skills to deal with it. God love him. And he did what, unfortunately, a lot of people do, right? They take themselves out because it's so painful. You know, that pain, of course, is way more than any physical pain, right? It's, it's devastating. And who knows all the details? Who knows the details? The details don't matter. It's like I, when I say somebody takes their life or somehow, let, learn from them, understand what happened to them. Understand that there was, they never had the skills. No one ever showed them how to get out of that place. And then so much physical illness. I'm telling you an unbelievable amount of physical illness and disease is, is a result of this very unbelievable, complicated, but also very simple neurological process that goes on in your brain. Yeah, I, I think there's... There's so much that can be said about what you say, you know, you learn from what happened, you know, like someone commits suicide. Of course, you know, there can be grief, but there's also, there is tremendous learning. There's always something that is available to observe that, that, that is a lesson. So we're coming to, you know, the, the, the end of this, and, and I want to make sure that people have something that, that, they can really hook into because I know there's many people listening to this and they're intrigued and they're they're saying yes I I've recognized myself and what you're saying I would like to say part with some chronic maladies or, or chronic set of unpleasant circumstances that seem to recur again and again in my life um, what can they do say to get on this path because you know the short answer I could say is oh like people should go see Dr Paul Canale and and you know, these things will start to work on, 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 on resolution. Um, but given that there's billions of, of people out there um, and, you know, you're not, you know, simultaneously in, in, in all places at once, um, what can people do, say, to get started on, on this path? Because it seems like this interview here, at the very least, it can, like, create tremendous awareness in, in individuals. And, and, you know, that's my real hope that it does. What, what can they do beyond going awareness that you think will get them on a substantive path to actual improvement and resolution of these issues and even get to these places that you're talking about, such as moment-to-moment -moment peace, serenity, bliss? So, again, that is, of course, the big question. And we create classes, we try to educate, we look for other individuals that at least have certain level of awareness. So just even... You know, I'm going to mention a few resources to start dabbling. It's a good way to start. A lot, of, uh, a lot of people may or may not know people like Peter Levine or Somatic Awareness. So it was this ability to move feelings and emotions into physical sensations and being able to somewhat track. That was a good school start. Gabor Mate, you can listen to a bunch of his videos. Bezel Vondekoff, those are called Robert Scare. These are all different individuals, at least on the path. Some type of physical watch. If you do yoga, you do physical practice, try to sustain attention on body-based sensations. I repeat, body-based sensations. We have all kinds of different exercise and weighted balls and things. So a person begins to move attention away from distraction, you see how long you can stay there. It's also in one place. It's why often people really aren't meditating at all. They're dissociated from the body. They're almost like in a state of sleep, right? It just, it's not really so beneficial. It's just the departure from the moment of what's going on. So somatic therapies, movement therapies, but movement with awareness, right? And, and mental health practitioners or physical therapists that have some type of background, you know, even therapies like cranial sacral is Dr. Upledger. It's like they're subtle therapies, but the job is that we teach you is like, how do you stay present with what they're doing? Subtleness inside your body. Um, there's so much more to discuss and you can always go to the website, eh. Miami.com, or you can look on YouTube to watch some of the videos. But that is our big thing now, is education, teaching, taking other professionals that already have a lot of skills maybe and giving them more, or even individuals that don't. 
to give them certain levels of skills, exactly what you're saying, Dominic, so that they can begin to move forward. And so it's, it is, it is why I'm here now. It's why I should be in retirement age, um, but I can't do that with such a, such a huge uh, breakthrough. It needs to be transmitted to others. I'm always looking for others who want to be more conscious. Yeah, you know, Dr. Paul, I, I hear you saying about retirement, um, and not a chance. You know, the, the patients that I send to you, um, invariably I hear their feedback is like, you know, wow, he, he looks so healthy. <laughs> you know, he, he looks so physically fit. One of my um, you know, clients was actually un, unhappy that I didn't tell her how physically attractive you are, at least, at least to her, because she said, you know, I showed up, my hair wasn't done, my sandals. So no chance of the retirement. But, you know, people do know how to, how to contact you now. And I definitely wish you the best in your work. I, you know, I understand that, you know, you're very much on, on disseminating information, getting information out to people and getting them more aware. And, uh, you know, I've taken your, your classes myself and uh, it's a tremendous opportunity for people to, to heal, but also for your work and your message to spread. So I really want to thank you for coming to the studio today, you know, doing an interview and hope to hear much more from you. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Healerology Podcast. I greatly appreciate your time and presence. Please make sure you're subscribed to this show. Until next time, stay healthy and go within.